the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock and we're already rolling on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, we are fired up and ready to go this morning. It is a Wednesday, the 31st and final morning of the uh, month of August in the year of our Lord, 2022. We got a good program lined up for you. Got a couple of very important guests. Steve Dace, co-author of a new book that you have to read, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial So This Never Happens Again. I The title alone is enough to grab me because we have to make sure that everything we've endured for the last two and a half years never happens again. Steve Dace co-wrote this book with Daniel Horowitz, one of the smartest people on planet Earth. Uh, I love Daniel. I've talked to Daniel. I can't tell you how many times on the radio. It's been a bit, though, so we're going to have to have him back on, too. But uh, Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz co-wrote this very important book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism. And that conversation will be coming up in about a half an hour, a little bit less than a half an hour, as we welcome Steve to the program in hour number three at 1110. 
as it is a Wednesday. Our friend Jack Windsor jumped, uh, joins us. He, of course, is the uh, editor and the founder of the uh, Ohio Press Network. So Jack is going to talk to us about our good buddy, Bob Paduchik. Bob Paduchik, the current and soon-to-be former chair of the Ohio Republican Party, who is trying to use any dirty trick he can find to hold on to his power. And the corrupt uh, running of the Ohio Republican Party can can continue. That is exactly what he is trying to do. And uh, Jack's got the details on exactly what he's trying to pull. And we're going to talk about that and more. Jack also did a one-on-one with uh, Congressman Warren Davidson about the illegal and unconstitutional student loan bailout. So we're going to talk to Jack Windsor at 1110 about those issues. So Steve Dace at 935, Jack Windsor at 1110. As you can tell, that leaves us some time together, particularly in between those interviews, for you and I to talk. So you can be my guest, my most important guest, always at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is here for you, and it will bring you to me. Don't forget also to check out the top news stories of the day. I have uh, kind of compiled them for you at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. And then you can also click the uh, shout, out, shout out button or sound off button, I beg your pardon, sound off button on the upper right-hand side and leave a message for the program. Uh, it records your voice, sends it to me, and then I play your voice on the radio. And then we'll respond to it. It's very easy and it's very convenient if you don't want to wait in line on hold. Or maybe if you're just not listening live and you uh, listen to this program on delay by way of the podcast page or something of that nature, it's a very easy way for you to be heard anyway. All right. uh, Now, before we get started with the news of the day, I'm going to ask you to stand if you are a patriot, wherever you may be. Do not be ashamed. Don't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in a public or a working uh, atmosphere and people are looking at you. Too bad. Why should you be afraid of patriotism? No one should be ashamed of patriotism. Stand for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you have a flag nearby, face it. If you don't, that's all right. Put your hand on your heart and join us, over your heart and join us. If you believe that the mainstream media should favor one party over another in a free country, and should give free advertising millions of dollars worth so that one party can call the other party names just 70 days before a midterm election, well, then you don't know what liberty is. You don't know what justice is. You don't know what a true, free, fair, capitalist republic is either. And therefore, you are exempted from the request to stand for our Pledge of Allegiance. Instead, you may take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all Yeah, I always try to tie the Pledge of Allegiance into the top news story of the monologue, and I'm just perplexed, baffled. If you heard the start of the Brandon Tatum show last night, um, then you heard me talk about this. I was uh, hosting for Brandon for just the first hours. He had a couple of things that uh, made it impossible for him to start his show on time. So I I, I spent that hour talking about what I'm going to talk about here for just a few minutes. I want to talk about the fact that tomorrow night on primetime television, Joe Brandon is going to stand in Philadelphia and get free advertising against Republicans and for his party in the midterm elections. Free advertising. Now, you know how much advertising costs in the TV world, particularly at election time, right? You might not know the numbers, specifically how much it costs for a 30- or 60-second campaign ad. 
But I can tell you, particularly when you run an ad campaign, we are talking in the tens of thousands of dollars, eventually into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if it's a sustained campaign over the course of several months of a campaign, then we are literally talking potentially millions of dollars. It is almost impossible to really kind of calculate for any individual candidate how much it costs and how much they plan to spend on their midterm campaign to either keep their seat in Congress or win a seat in Congress, right? The TV time is very valuable. It's very, very competitive to get, and that's why the prices are usually through the roof. It takes takes a lot of money. People have said in the Senate race between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, how come Tim Ryan is spending all of this money and J.D. Vance isn't doing anything on TV? Well, uh, number one, Tim Ryan is, Ryan is very, very well funded by the Democratic uh, Senatorial Committee. The Democratic National Senatorial Committee has given tons of money to him to try to make sure uh, that they can flip this state and make it two blue senators of Brown and Ryan. That's one of the reasons why. Uh, J.D. Vance has not spent a ton of money on TV. He has only recently begun the TV campaign. And that's probably because he believes, and his team believes, as Hugh Hewitt was talking about this morning, if you heard it, uh, that TV ads run before Labor Day are wasted. They're wasted. Nobody's going to remember them. It's not going to move the needle one iota. You have to do this uh, in the uh, you know few weeks leading up to the election, not in the summertime. So the point being, there's always a discussion about how much money is being spent on television because it's a huge factor in the outcome of an election, right? That brings me to the story. Tomorrow night, Joe Biden is going to go on live television on every major network. Now, normally... When a presidential prime time address is given, it's for a very, very specific national reason. In other words, there is a national emergency that has to be announced and discussed. Or there is um, a massive news development. You know, the capture or the killing of Osama bin Laden, for example, prime time. Absolutely worth the time. Uh, obviously, the State of U- the Union address qualifies. There are very, very limited number of reasons why one can, uh, uh, a president can essentially commandeer all of the national television broadcast media. And it has to be something that is, like I said, very enormous in scope. Well, tomorrow night, Biden is going to get to do this. He has none of those things. There's no national emergency. There's no major foreign leader that's been captured. There's no announcement that we are declaring war on a foreign country or that war is imminent uh, in an attack. There is nothing happening tomorrow night that is imminent and that is of national importance uh, to the to, to the point where the president should be giving a primetime address carried by everyone. So what's he talking about then? Why is he going on on the air? Here's why he's going on the air. According to White House sources who told Fox News, he is going on the air to, quote, defend democracy, end quote. He is going to go on the air to argue that democracy remains under attack and to highlight who is fighting to protect the nation's freedoms. You heard that right. Just 10 weeks before the midterm election, Joe Biden is going to go on air and attack Republicans, whom he has already called semi-fascists. He has said MAGA Republicans are semi-fascists. They have embraced semi-fascism. That's Trump Republicans. That's over 80 million Americans. That's half of the voting population in this country he has called fascist. And now, to make sure you get the point, he's going to have a live television address across all networks to tell everyone again. And then, in addition to demonizing Republicans, he is going to tell everybody what glorious freedom fighters the Democrats are. 
This is the reality. He's going to Philadelphia's Independence National Historical Park uh, tomorrow where the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were both debated and signed, and, quote, he will speak about the core values of this nation. Our standing in the world, our democracy are is at stake. He will talk about the progress we've made as a nation to protect our democracy, but how our rights and freedoms are still under attack, end quote. What does that mean? That means Joe Brandon is going to get up there and tell you that Republicans are racists who don't want black people to vote, and that's why they insist on voter ID, an attack on democracy. They are going to, he is going to stand up there and tell, uh, tell everyone that Republicans are pro-violence and pro-crime, and they support insurrections, and they hate law enforcement, and that Democrats are fighting for all of the above. Quote, the White House official added that the president will make clear who is fighting for those rights, fighting for freedoms, and fighting for our democracy. In other words, what you are going to see tomorrow is a free, in-kind contribution to all Democrat campaigns in the midterm elections, paid for by all of the broadcast networks that carry this speech. Free TV time. I just laid out for you how important a 30-second ad is in a Senate race, in a congressional race, in a governor's race. A 30-second commercial ad is expensive. To run a campaign of commercials is way expensive. In other words, a flight, if you will, or schedule of ads. If you buy five or ten or whatever, spaced out, or 30 or 50, spaced out over a period of time, it is extraordinarily expensive. And they're giving Joe Brandon access to the American public for free for an indeterminate period of time. Is he going to talk for 15 minutes about how evil Republicans are and how wonderful, loyal freedom fighters Democrats are? Is he going to do it for 30 minutes? Is he going to do it for an hour like a, like a uh, State of the Union address? And if he is, how in the living world can the networks get away with not allowing equal access, equal access to the Republican Party to give the counterpoint to say that here's who is attacking American democracy? That guy, Joe Brandon, right now is attacking democracy because that literally is an attack on our electoral process. To give him free, unfettered access to all voters with his message of Democrat superiority is literally an attack on democracy. How is that free and fair in the electoral process? It's not. When are they going to give the Republicans the same exact thing, the same amount of time, There is something in broadcasting that is a requirement. It is an election law. Election law requires fair time, free, uh, the same exact access, uh, to one opponent, or one candidate rather, that you give to another. That's in radio, that's in television. If they are giving, uh, interview time, uh, and time to promote campaigns and candidates, they have to give equal access to the other side. It is extremely important in election law. So are they going to give the Republicans uh, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever the amount that Biden uses to attack Republicans tomorrow and to defend and support Democrats, are they going to give Republicans equal time to say, here is what it really looks like to fight for freedom. Here is what it really looks like uh, to be the threat to American democracy. 
Can they give the other side of the story so that people are not unfairly influenced over the course of the next 10 weeks before they actually vote for leadership of this country in the legislature? It is just inconceivable that the networks would agree to this, that Biden can say, I want to go on the air and talk about democracy, not a a national invasion, not a national emergency, not a new national policy, not impending war. Nothing of the sort. Just, I want to go and talk about democracy and about how good my party is and about how evil MAGA Republicans are. And the networks are like, okay, let's do it. It is inconceivable. It is indefensible. It is, it is indefensible. It is impossible. And yet it's going to happen. And I, 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 I can only ask you to do what I am doing. Make as much noise about it as you can. Call your members of Congress. Call your local television stations that are part of the networks. Tell them you demand equal access. We need a campaign, and I hope somebody is willing to start one. I did this on a national scale last night by bringing it up just for an hour as I did the Brandon Tatum show, and I'm going to do it every step of the way. Fight for equal access, fight for the right to defend ourselves against what Biden's going to do tomorrow, which is go on national TV and declare again that half of the country is fascist. And the reality is, he's got the wrong half. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about, about what you can expect tomorrow. What you can expect tomorrow night by Joe Brandon on live television in a free campaign ad for however long he chooses to stand there, granted him by all of the networks. This is the kind of lie, this is the kind of crap you can expect. All right, that didn't work as planned. Hold on, maybe we have the uh, mute on. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. Let's try this again. Oh, it's sickening to see the new attacks on the FBI threatening the life of law enforcement agents and their families for simply carrying out the law and doing their job. Look, I want to say this as clear as I can. There's no place in this country, no place, for endangering the lives of law enforcement. No place. None, never, period. No place for endangering the lives of law enforcement. None, never, period. This piece of human flotsam and jetsam watched police officers being attacked with rocks, bottles, knives, bags of fluids, many of them which were disgusting, like urine, as well as other things. Um, industrial strength lasers shined into the eyes of police officers all over American cities during the riots, the BLM and Antifa riots of 2020 that extended into 2021. Cops were injured by the hundreds. Police officers were killed. He hasn't said one single word about any of it. Any of it. His party detests law enforcement. His party wants law enforcement abolished and defunded. But because we're 10 weeks away from an election, he's going to go on TV and tell them how much they love law enforcement, and it's the Republicans who hate them because of the quote-unquote insurrection. And I'm talking about hundreds of law enforcement officers injured, Dozens killed over the course of all of those riots. Not a word. 
because George Floyd died, so therefore it was justified. And that's why we have to get rid of all cops, his party says. So we've been talking about defunding the police. Uh, there's some issues that we ask police to do, like mental health issues or policing in schools and all the rest, that perhaps we can uh, shuffle some of that money around. Suck it up. Defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Not only do we need to disinvest we're in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. So yes, defund your butts. Defund you. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We will be moving funding from the NYPD to youth initiatives and social services. His entire party hates cops. Am I saying that with 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 the clear enough voice? No stutter. They hate cops. And now he's going to get free access to TV to tell you that it's the other way around. That nobody shall ever attack law enforcement. However, we will stand in in defense of law enforcement. All because um, uh, Republicans and Trump supporters are sick and tired of the corrupt federal law enforcement agency known as the FBI, which has been cheating and illegally spying on and targeting a president, a candidate, and then a president of the United States for the last six years. I won't stand for it. And I hope you'll join me in pushing back against it. It's 930. We're going to get news. We're going to come back on the other side and pivot to the COVID nightmare that we are are just getting out of. And what can we do to make sure that it never happens again? Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz wrote a book about that. We're going to talk to Steve next. AM 1420, The Answer. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Fratz and The Answer. 936 now, we continue. Good Wednesday to you. Appreciate you being with us. We'll come back to the absurdity of this uh, press conference, or this, uh, I should say, this national address tomorrow night. And we'll get back to the law enforcement issue as well. But let's now talk about COVID, and let's talk about the Nuremberg Code, and let's talk about the importance of never, ever allowing again to happen what has happened to us over the course of the last two and a half years. Americans being forced into lockdowns, Americans being forced uh, at the you know, at, at the tip of a, of a needle, not a spear, but at the point of a needle. If they want to have a job, you will take this jab of experimental toxins and you will shut up about it. Literally, that's what has happened to us. And um, the question is, is what can we do to make sure that this never happens again? Joining us now to talk about that is the co-author of a very important book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with the New Nuremberg Trial So This Never Happens Again. I have spoken to Daniel Horowitz on this program countless numbers of times. He's a regular guest. It's been a little bit, by the way. We'll have to get him on soon. 
but he is one of the authors, and joining me now is his co-author, Steve Dace. Joining us now, Steve Dace hosts the Steve Dace Show on the, the Blaze TV. He's a former campaign operative, senior campaign operative for Ted Cruz, uh, and he uh, joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Steve, good to have you back on our program. It's been a long time since I've talked to you as well, but it's good to have you back here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm well, Bob. Thank you. And, you know, it's good to be back on uh, with Salem. Before I went to the Blaze, I was uh, syndicated by Salem across the country, so good to be back. You were very, very well respected then, and you still are now. doesn't matter what company you're with, so we uh, we appreciate what you do. No, and thank we you. And we certainly appreciate this book, too. So... Um, for, for those who need just the, the, you know, um, a bit of a primer here, the Nuremberg Code, which was essentially kind of developed and, uh, and, and adopted, if you will, after World War II because of Nazi atrocities. Can you put it into layman's terms what the Nuremberg Code is before we talk about some of the things in your book? Sure. Uh, the Nuremberg Code came out of, there was a subset of the Nuremberg trial after World War II that dealt specifically with what they described as a biomedical authoritarian state. Uh, And it was the fact that uh, using public health as the tip of the spear in imposing uh, fascism uh, down to the molecular level of German culture, uh, they saw the going along with it of uh, the medical system uh, and the imposition of what was described back in those days as eugenics. We call it today depopulation. Uh, they thought that, that there's no way, they came to the conclusion at Nuremberg, Bob, there was no way that they could have imposed this without the medical establishment. So they were given a subset of their own trials. And out of those trials came the Nuremberg Code. And it was it's 10 precepts that basically ideas, it, it's the second most important medical initiative in Western civilization before, besides the Hippocratic Oath. Terms like informed consent, these sorts of things that we have taken for granted in the last generation, these things actually come out of the the Nuremberg Code. There are 10 precepts when it comes to medical experimentation, uh, when it comes to informed consent, treatment of patients, uh, using public health or wide state power to impose medical directives, which you can and cannot do. And the really good news is, brother, that we violated absolute every freaking syllable of them in the last 29 months, like not a... There's not a consonant or a vowel in that code that we did not violate. Well, you know what? That's 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 the core of what we want to talk about here. Um, and, and just the one that you mentioned, since you kind of just you know glossed over informed consent. That to me has been one of the most important elements of this entire COVID response mm-hmm. um, that has been violated. I mean, because you know I, I talk about this all the time on the program. Any uh, drug that is advertised on television for many of the big pharmaceutical companies, uh, they spend about, in their 60-second commercials, they spend about 15 to 20 seconds talking about the benefits, and then they got to spend about 35 to 40 seconds talking about all of the potential side effects, all of the potential dangers that might right. come with taking this drug. That is informing the people before they consent to saying, hey, I want to try this, I'm going to talk to my doctor about it. But with COVID-19 jabs, none of them, none of that, the only two things they told you that could happen were safety ineffectiveness that's it mm-hmm. no so no one who took that jab on the advice of the cdc or the government particularly anybody who saw the advertisements pushing them saying they're safe and effective safe and effective none of them could possibly give informed consent to take those jabs in fact they tried to cover up what was in their data for 75 years the fda said it wasn't going to tell us for 75 years until a federal judge said earlier this year yeah you are going to 
unveil those 300,000-plus documents. They're about to unveil a booster for Omicron that they tested on a grand total of eight mice and zero people. Okay. I'm guessing that won't be in, I'm guessing that won't be in the PSAs, brother. I'm guessing they won't say not human tested, just tested on eight mice, but take it anyway. I'm guessing they won't tell you that. Fauci said when we had to fight over masks that we couldn't possibly have new random controlled studies about masks because it would just be too dangerous because the mask is that essential. When we had done, I can't even tell you, countless random controlled studies on masks since the Spanish flu for 100 years and found that they do not work against airborne viruses. That's why you've not been wearing a mask for every flu and pneumonia season your entire lives. They don't work. That's why they didn't work here. And and you'll find it interesting when we get all of our studies showed this until about May of 2020. And then suddenly, brother, it's like a switch was flipped. And now suddenly they had all these studies ready to go. Uh, and, and I re- when I, you mentioned my association working with Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. through the senator in 2020, I ghost wrote for him questions to send to CDC Director Robert Redfield. And, 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 and he did. And one of the questions that the senator asked uh, that I wrote for him was, what's your data on masks? Because Redfield was actually making the claim that the mask would protect you more than the vaccine, which when the, the vaccine, we all laughed at it at the time, but it might actually now be true, albeit for not reasons he was anticipating. And and one of the things he stu- he sent us was a study from Goldman Sachs. And what Goldman Sachs said is that basically if you forcibly masked hundreds of thousands of people, you might drop the transmission of the virus less than 1%. Maybe. Okay? And th- there's all kinds of these nuggets out there that they just never told you. You were told that um, if you dared to look at these yourself, you hated grandma, you were a science denier. And that's one of the great ironies of this is they actually have put a lot of the data out there that hoist them from their own petards, but they don't disclose it to you in, a, in an easy-to-consume fashion. They just assume most people won't go beyond the lower third of their favorite cable news channel or the, the headline they're clicking on and actually read the particulars. And sadly, my friend, over the last 29 months, they have been proven correct about that. We are talking with Steve Dace, uh, the co-author of The uh, Rise of the Fourth Reich, confronting COVID fascism with the new Nuremberg trial, so this never happens again. Steve Dace wrote this book with Daniel Horowitz. Um, Steve, the language, Fourth Reich, fascism, some people are going to be mm-hmm. turned off by that and say, now you're going too far. This isn't Nazism. This isn't, uh, this isn't German-style uh, fascism following the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, the Third Reich, etc. Can you talk about the title? We actually agree with you. We think it's even far worse. Uh, and the reason why we think it's far worse is because when it is confined to when this sort of autocracy or fascism is confined to a, a singular nation state, um, it, it is. It, I mean, this this existed prior prior to Christendom. It is just simply human nature that, out of nothing other than just sheer egotistical rivalry, if nothing else, other nation states will rise up to say, "No, we want to be that autocratic fascist state." We don't want you to rule us. We want to rule you. Okay, and 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 but what happens when it exi- when it transcends the singular nation state? What happens when virtually every nation state on earth goes along with it to some degree and just flips the switch and says, "Yes, this is what we're going to do." Uh, then what happens when they when when now you're like as conservatives like, well, if government's going to screw us, we're going to go to the private sector. Yeah, ooh boy. But then they get Walmart and Costco and all the so-called essential businesses that just so happen to all be massive Fortune 500 companies and not your family business. Ooh, 
what a coincidence that turned out to be. Weird. Um, and uh, they'll get them to impose their mask mandates for them. So, yeah, okay, you want to wear a mask mandate around town, and we don't want the photo op of a cop arresting you for it. How about you just can't go shopping for groceries? So we'll just get the public, the private industries to enforce this for us. And then we'll go one step further. You can't actually work in a private industry. You can't have a job. On August 6th of last year, Rochelle Walensky went on CNN and admitted on national television that the jabs no longer stopped the spread of the virus with the onslaught of the Delta variant. She said this on national TV. She even said on that day on August 6th on CNN that if you are vaccinated, you can still spread the virus. She said these two things on August 6th. On September 9th, more than a full month later, Joe Biden issued an executive order he had told you all year prior he had no power to issue, saying you could not work in America unless you took a jab that his own CDC admitted now doesn't actually stop the spread. All right, so before we even get to the constitutional question, this is a Nuremberg Code violation. This, you're not even stopping the process. You're imposing on bodily autonomy with a process that won't actually even accomplish your stated outcome. We've got a report out today that shows that, that the, the, the age of death in America dropped again in 2021 like they did in 2020, even though we had vaccines in 2021 that we didn't have in 2020. How do you explain that? They don't work. And, then, and when they don't work, is you're lucky if they don't work, when they're poisoning you and then they don't work. This is the data. They lied about it. They then said you couldn't work. You couldn't have, you couldn't provide for your family unless you were injected with their poison after a full month after they admitted that it won't actually even stop the spread of the virus they said they were trying to stop. They fought that all the way to the freaking United States Supreme Court. They got every major corporation in this country to be their stormtroopers and impose on your bodily autonomy. You bet your ass it's the fourth right. It's even worse because now it will transcend nation-state nationalistic rivalries. They'll transcend elections. Hey, I can't vote out everybody that fought the way that they did because I can't vote out every. I can't vote out Walmart. I can't vote out Costco. I can't vote out General Electric. I can't vote out Amazon. I can't vote out Google. I can't vote out Netflix. It's even worse than that. That's a lot, uh, Steve. That's a lot of information, and I share your passion, by the way. That is phenomenal. Uh, I, I tried to uh, keep my next question in mind, but then you keep coming up with more information, and it changes the question. Let me go back slightly, though, to where you talked about how Walensky came out and said they don't work. Um, and it's more than that, just that they don't work. You talked about the word poison. I got suspended from Facebook for saying that uh, how anybody could continue to put this poison in their body, knowing what we know now, uh, is beyond me, and they didn't like that, so I got suspended for using that word. Um, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the dramatic adverse events, as they are called, from people who have taken this jab, particularly previously fully healthy people. We're not talking about people in the um, most uh, endangered age range and the demographics of you know 75 plus, et cetera. We're talking about healthy, younger, or young, and, young to middle-aged people who have suffered incredible adverse events, if not death, after taking the, uh, the shots. What is your impression of the VAERS system of the CDC and the way that it is treated by the media and by the the quote-unquote scientific community that continues to double down on their COVID response. So when they gave indemnity to the, to, to the vaccine manufacturers, the trade-off that we were to get for that was a vaccine adverse event reporting system, and that's the VAERS that you just referred to. And I think a lot of people, when they hear self-reporting system, they think it's like a Reddit forum, right? Like you just, anybody can go in there and say anything. It actually doesn't operate that way. 
It is very complicated. Um, it, it takes its pages. It can take more than an hour <clears throat> to fill out a claim. You have to certify that it's under the, the, the under uh, you know criminal prosecution if it's false. It often will time out on you and make you start all over again. These things are all key because there's a there's not an incentive. A lot, <clears throat> pardon me. There are no incentives to file a false claim. They make it very difficult to file any claim at all. Uh, there was a Harvard study done about 20 years ago that estimated uh, that maybe about t- 10 to 20 percent of actual claims uh, of, of, of vaccine injuries actually get reported because of both the difficulty of reporting, but then the stigma. For physicians, it's often your doctor who has to certify and report it. They don't want to be seen as anti, quote-unquote, anti-vaxxers. So it's not easy to get these claims reported. And if you look at the data that is inside of there, um, tens of thousands of deaths, we're well over into the hundreds of thousands of injuries. We're way beyond what would cause, like, the smallpox vaccine uh, in the 70s to be shut down uh, for a limited period of time, for example. Uh, We're way beyond uh, every safety mechanism. Most people don't even know this information. I I see people get suspended on Twitter for literally just reporting actual VAERS data right out of the CDC's own VAERS database. Right, right from their website. Right from the CDC's website. Right from their website. I see people just take screenshots from the CDC's website and get suspended for doing it. Thailand came out with a study about three weeks ago uh, of teenage boys. 18% of them had abnormal EKGs after a full dose of the Pfizer vaccine. The U.K. just announced this week a fund for vaccine injury for COVID-19. Uh, also just recommended now pregnant women and women who want to get pregnant do not take the vaccines. Denmark won't give the COVID vaccines to minors at all anymore. Then we make it available for doctors to give them uh, to children uh, any longer. Uh, we've seen sudden uh, drops in birth rates associated with vaccine rates from everywhere from Scotland to Thailand. I mean, the, 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 the markers are getting almost impossible to hide. And I think that's why now, that's why now, on, on two days, we had two stories back-to-back last week your audience should be aware of. Last week out of nowhere, House Democrats released a report that said uh, Operation Warp Speed was rushed uh, and was done so politically so Trump could have a vaccine out in order to win the election. I didn't even know. I, I'm not working national media, man. I'm pretty well informed. COVID has been my, you know, topic du jour for the last two years. I had no idea there was even a subcommittee of House Democrats even investigating this. And they came out with a report out of nowhere. The very next day, YouTube announced that it will no longer – YouTube's the worst social media for censorship, even worse than Facebook. YouTube announced that it will no longer censor people who claim that the vaccines don't spread or don't stop the spread, you know, a full year after the CDC admitted this. <laughs> now, why are these two things – did they do these two things? We know they coordinate, right? We know from the Alex Berenson court filings that uh, that Twitter spoke specifically with the White House about banning him at the White House's urging. That's a fact. We know that, okay? We know from yes, from last week, Mark Zuckerberg went on Joe Rogan's show and admitted they dropped the Hunter Biden uh, laptop from Facebook because the FBI told them to. So we have documented evidence now of direct coordination between government entities and social media giants when it comes to censorship. So this isn't conspiracy theory. This is just logical follow-up. It's no coincidence that YouTube, the day after the House Democrats announced that, then relieved their, you know, relieved some of their censorship standards. You can see what's going to happen here. Donald Trump has begged for, to, to get the total credit for Operation Warp Speed and, 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 and for these poisonous jabs. They're going to give it to him. You can see it coming. 
a mile away. Next year, when Kamala Harris is president because they kicked Dementia Joe to the curb, she's going to go back to what she – remember what she said in the fall of 2020? I wouldn't take a Trump vaccine. Then in the fall of 2021, she tried to make you take it. Yeah. What they're going to do in the fall of 2023 is blame him for the dangerous escalating vaccine program that, of course, this is what happens when – when corporatist tour Republicans get in bed with corporate America and don't regulate themselves when it was really their own regulatory agencies that were doing all this, you can see it coming a mile away. They know this data. They know what's piling up. The bodies are getting harder to hide. I mean, we didn't know. No one ever. How I just turned 49 a month ago. Never heard of sudden adult death syndrome in my life. Now it's a daily headline in America. They know this, and they're going to blame the entire poop storm on him. That's their plan. Yep, you're exactly right. When the uh, when the vaccine was finally given emergency authorized use, uh, they said, I'm not touching it if it's got Trump's fingerprints on it. No way. Can you really trust that? Then Biden takes over, and we're getting as many jabs and as many arms as possible. Look at the great job we've done. And now, and when it's all said and done and all the, the, the dangers are exposed and all of the adverse events are exposed, it's can you believe that mad scientist Trump who did all of this and put us all in jeopardy? It is impossible uh, to justify or even understand uh, how they get away with this. Steve Dace, um, we're out of time, which stinks, because I wanted to talk about some of the policy demands to reaffirm the Nuremberg Code that you guys make suggestions of. So I guess the best I can do for now is to tell people to read your book. But they can't read it until February. You guys got out early on this thing. Well, we did it for two reasons. One, the let's go brain and economy. Paper, glue, shortages, and all that stuff. You know, And so yeah. that takes a long time to print now. But the other reason is we wanted to test the censorship. That's why we put... The introduction, the opening argument that we present, it's presented like a court case. And we don't have an introduction. It's an opening opening argument. You can go read it for free. Uh, we'll send you the PDF at trials and execution. Trials, plural, execution, singular. Trialsandexecution.com. You can go read our opening argument right now. We wanted to test the censorship to see if they would censor the book. Uh, and because if they did, we wanted to have enough time to have an alternative distribution system. So that's the main reason we are promoting it this early right that now. That is brilliant. That is very, very good. I'm so glad to hear you doing that because they will say, you mentioned the pregnancy. I mean, I got suspended another time from Facebook just what, a month ago before, for reporting on, uh, the, uh, the, uh, half of the pregnant women in the Pfizer trials lost their babies. All they did was Correct. report it and they, nope, man, censor done, gone. You can't say these things. So an entire book like this, I'm sure, is going to be right in their crosshairs so i'm glad you guys are taking uh, proactive steps about this uh steve i'd love to have you and daniel on together one of these days we can spend maybe a full hour talking about this because there's so much important information that we cannot get to in a short radio spot but i hope we can get you both back on again would you be open to that you bet love to do it sometime I would, brother I would take love care to have it the book is the rise okay. of the fourth reich confronting covid fascism with a new nuremberg trial so this never happens again the authors steve dace and daniel horowitz steve dace thanks so much for the time you bet. God bless. 9.57. Uh, we'll take a time out here. This is so important. So important. As there's so many of the things that we are facing right now. I hope we, uh, I hope we can divide our time properly so that we can give them all of the uh, attention that they deserve. So thank you to Steve Dason. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll, excuse me, into hour number two now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so much for being with us on Always Right Radio. Uh, it is a Wednesday, the thirty, uh, the eighth morning. Let me try that again. The thirty-first morning of the eighth month. I sound like Joe Biden confusing governor and senator for the two people he was stumping for yesterday in Pennsylvania. Thirty-first morning of the eighth month and uh, final morning in the year of our Lord twenty twenty-two. Appreciate you being with us. So uh, thanks again to uh, Steve Dace. It, it doesn't get much bigger. And it doesn't get much more important, I don't think, than uh, the book that they have written when it comes to COVID-19. And, and, and the best part, we didn't even get to. The best part is that Steve and Daniel, in that book, don't just gripe and complain about everything that was done to us. They find answers. And we didn't get to them because of the time limit limitations. But when they look at how you know the Nuremberg Code was breached by all of these big pharmaceutical companies in concert with the federal government, in concert with the big tech media giants, they, uh, they also detail about 10 or so policy demands to reaffirm the Nuremberg Code uh, in what could be the most detailed policy suggestions outlined anywhere so far. So in other words, we get together oftentimes, we say, this is wrong, that is wrong, this is wrong with our country, with our leadership, with the federal government, blah, blah, blah. And then we just go about our day. Um, they don't just complain about it in this book. They offer suggestions, and they, well, quite frankly, demand that these things be done in the name of justice, in the name of humanity, in the name of the Nuremberg Code, which, again, we are supposed to be following. Um Without allowing human experimentation, again, if you, we, I asked Steve for just a brief definition of the Nuremberg Code, uh, and uh, and he gave it to us. But you know, just to kind of boilerplate it for you, um, it, you know, this is the ethical research for human experimentation. Um, that's what the Nuremberg Code says: ethical research when it comes to human experimentation. In other words, it cannot be unethical. It cannot be uh, using human beings as trials essentially, for, you know, scientific or biological study. I mean, the bottom line is that's part of what the Nazis did during World War II, of course, involved extraordinary, and same thing with the Imperial Japan. People need to understand that as well. It's kind of funny. I was actually watching a video, and I'm riffing here, so bear with me. I'm going to get to another subject in a second. But um, I was watching a video a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago, I don't know, um, and, and, and it talked about Unit 731, which was the most feared and inhumane and, and torturous, I can't even describe it in any other way, um, detention block uh, of the Imperial Japanese and the, the experimentation on human beings that was done there uh, on Chinese, mostly, as well as some POWs, is impossible to describe. I can't. I won't. You can look it up. Unit 731. Nobody talks about the horrors uh, inflicted uh, in the name of science and medical study using human beings um, as lab rats and as guinea pigs to do all of these extraordinarily painful and and lethal studies. Um, Nobody talks about that aspect of it. And then I did a little research comparing that to, of course, uh, you know, Auschwitz and, and everything that we already know much, much, much more about in terms of the uh, inhumanity and the uh, and the human rights violations that were committed there. Um, 
But these types of studies and these types of trials on human beings were essentially outlawed by the international community by way of the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg trials that were held after the Second World War gave way to this, that this would never be allowed again. So are we talking about some of the same uh, horrors that were inflicted on people in those two uh, you know, enemy uh, nations at that time? No, we're not talking about apples and apples here. But what we are talking about is a violation of the principle, the, ethic, uh, the ethical principle of trials being done on human beings. And these mRNA vaccines that we were all forced to take, well, many were forced to take, those of us who stood fast and refused, uh, I think, are feeling maybe just a little bit relieved right about now, since they are stopping kind of the mandates for the most part, not always. But we feel relieved, and I think we feel vindicated to a certain degree, those of us who didn't. But those who did were, you know, these were the trials. People say they they greenlit the authorization of this under emergency use, um, without having long-term trials, and they're right. But what they didn't tell you was we're doing the long-term trials right now, and you are the test subjects. We'll know in five years how bad they were for you. We'll know in 10 years what the long-term effects were. Uh, we didn't do long-term trials but until now, and we did them with millions of people. And the difference is they didn't volunteer. You didn't volunteer. You were a forced subject of their experimentation if you wanted to keep your job, particularly if you're a federal employee, member of the military. Go to college. Not a lot on campus, not a lot in, the, in this particular job, not a lot in this particular workplace, unless you have the trial injected it in, into you. So it's it's pretty extraordinary, and I uh, cannot read the re- wait to read the rest of the book, uh, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with the New Number of Trials, so this never happens again. Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz. Look that up. It's available for pre-order right now. All right, uh, that's enough of that for the moment, because I have a few other things that I want to get into. And by the way, we are open now uh, for the rest of this hour for phone calls. I do have Jack Windsor coming up at 10, uh, excuse me, at 1110. And so if you want to get in, this is the hour to do it, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. As a matter of fact, before I start my next topic, Jim in West Park has been waiting since we turned the uh, microphone on this morning. So let's bring Jim in and uh, and uh, ease that burden for him. Hey, Jim, go ahead, sir. Yep. The Democrats want to defund the police because they found out they were voting Republican. Now, the reason for my call, mm-hmm. nobody has mentioned this, but it was a Barack Obama Joe Biden policy to federalize all college loans. So if you can find a clip, it's Maxine Waters up on a podium, and she's got a bunch of bankers in front of her, and she is wagging her finger at them. And then, what do you got to say for yourself? Well, your president signed it into law. You probably even voted for it. We don't have anything to do with it anymore. And what happened was the college tuition doubled, tripled, quadrupled, went from like $10,000, $12,000 to the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this is their policy. Nobody talks about it. Nobody. And uh, there's an old Mark Twain quote that says, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. Misinformed, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So I'm trying to get hold of Charlie, the politically correct mechanic. I lost his number, so if he ever calls, can you have him call me or give him 
give me his number. All right. All we right. used to talk regularly. We used to talk regularly all the time, and I missed that. I got you, brother. I got right, you. Thank you for thank you, thank you, thank you, Jim, for the call. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'll say this just about that in brief, in brief, because I don't have a ton of time here. Uh, and Charlie, if you're listening, and Charlie is always listening, reach out to Jim. He wants to talk to you. I'm glad to be the uh, go between there on live radio. Uh, I'm a kid, of course. I'm happy to do that. Um, the increase in in uh, tuition costs isn't just since the age of Obama. All right. This isn't. This didn't just start. This massive rate of inflation in tuition costs didn't start in 2008 with Obama. It continued. It maybe was worsened. It maybe accelerated to some degree. But since I graduated from college in 1990, and I know what it cost at my uh, school then, uh, Heidelberg University then, and I know what it costs now, and I, it didn't just jump in 2008. It has been a steady increase. Colleges have been raising their tuitions and their room and board and all of their costs. Jim is right. As long as the federal government has been willing to guarantee student loans, if the federal government is guaranteed to pay those loans off, if they've guaranteed uh, people or the uh, universities get their money, uh, the universities are like, then let's keep on going. Let's keep on raising. I I don't have the, the number in front of me. But I, I at one point did, and I suppose it could be looked up. The rate of inflation for all goods and services compared to the rate of inflation for higher education, I, I, I want to say it's some astronomical number of times, uh, you know, the, the regular inflation rate. It is just extraordinary, and it has been going that way for a very long time. Now, did it get accelerated under Obama? Yes. But as soon as the federal government has started taking over loans and guaranteeing their pay, their repayment, um, we, we put ourselves in a very serious predicament, in a precarious situation. He didn't federalize student loans per se himself. That was already done. But the guaranteed student loans that were guaranteed by the federal government told the universities that they could charge whatever they want, and all of this money is going to be coming to them. And then it's up to the students to pay the government back. And now, of course, they're telling the students they don't have to pay the government back to the tune of around $500 billion of their loans, which has put us where we are now. Um, it is it is essentially generational national welfare is what it is. I know Bernie Sanders says it's not even far enough. We need to make all college all free all the time, covered by the taxpayers, which is one of the most insane ideas, I think, in the history of ideas. The idea that it should be free for every student to go to college as if every student is college material is just asinine. As if every student could possibly handle collegiate work. Asinine. As if every student um, should go to college instead of taking up a trade. You know what? This country, this world, needs electricians. It needs bricklayers. It needs drywallers. It needs uh, carpenters. It needs plumbers. It needs uh, uh, auto mechanics. It needs, you know, so many people who don't need college. And we don't have colleges if we don't have those things. And incentivizing people to go to college when they don't, so that because they don't have to pay for it, and they can just go and drink and party for for a couple to you know three four years, while whether they get a degree or not, since it's not being paid for by them, just takes people away from those necessary trades that we need. We need those roles filled. We need those jobs filled by good quality, uh, hardworking people. 
And so, you, you know, the, the cost of tuition is already skyrocketing. It has been for a very long time, certainly since I was in college. And guess what? It's only going to go higher now that they're going to go ahead and forgive some of the student loan rates or some of the student loan uh, payments, rather. The federal government is going to eat that, or they're going to have it paid by you and me and others who did not take out college loans or took them out and paid them back. And it is just flat-out criminal. Thank you, Jim, for the phone call. You got me a little bit off track there. That's okay. We'll get back back on it. Jim actually led his phone call by talking about why Democrats uh, hate cops and evidence of Democrats hating cops. Uh, I want to follow up on that because we started that in hour number one as well, and we'll continue after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1025, I, uh, I want to reference what Jim said about police and Democrats hate cops. And, um, you know, it, it, this, this is something I talked about this morning in the first hour of the program, too, in the opening monologue. Biden was in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania yesterday, stumping for Democrat candidates, including Fetterman for Senate. And he's trying to repaint and rewrite the history, the recent history of Democrats hating cops, telling us it's Republicans who hate law enforcement because they're furious with the FBI for all of their illegal and unconstitutional activities in pursuit of Donald Trump. But that means we hate cops, according to Biden. It's sickening to see the new attacks on the FBI threatening the life of law enforcement agents and their families for simply carrying out the law and doing their job. I want to say this as clear as I can. There's no place in this country, no place, for endangering the lives of law enforcement. This no- is a man who, who himself and his party were completely silent during the extraordinary attacks on law enforcement all across this country in the summer of George Floyd rage of 2020, all throughout 2021. And the number of shots being taken at cops nationwide is still on a new record pace here in 2022 not a word not a word only a defense of law enforcement when it comes to the fbi because the fbi is doing their work doing the democrats work doing uh the biden work and that is trying to take down donald trump that is what the only reason they care about law enforcement. They're trying to cast themselves now, uh, just 70 days away ish from the midterm elections. They're trying to cast themselves as the party of law and order. Douglas Murray was on Fox News responding to that and pointing out the hypocrisy. The interesting thing in this, in this intervention from Joe Biden is this. In, in one way, and you won't hear me say this often, but in one way, this is really quite clever politics by Biden. He's looked at the figures. He's seen that the, the, the whole defund the police message is just toxic for his party. It's kryptonite at the polls. Uh, uh, most people, including from minority communities, do not want less police on the streets. They want more police, better police. Um, and, and so Biden has seen that. And he's having to do this, this very abrupt gear change on behalf of his party. He's using, it has to be said, uh, uh, two things to his advantage. He's using January the 6th and now the raid at Mar-a-Lago as some kind of evidence that his party, the Democrats, are the parties of law and order and somehow the Republicans are the parties of disorder. And, uh, and that, that's obviously a complete rewriting of recent history. I mean, it's always interesting to see the Democrats' newfound love of the FBI. 
Um, but, but yeah, he, he, he's hoping he can claim the mantle of the party of law and order, and he's hoping that our memories in America don't stretch back even two years. Because anyone's memory who does stretch back two years will remember that in the summer of 2020, the Democrat Party was far and away from defending the police, far away from defending the police, it was all for defunding the police. And not just defunding as well. Douglas Murray's spot on there, with the exception of that last part, because it's not just about defending or defunding the police. They were calling for the abolition of police. They were saying, literally, we need to eliminate police departments in cities all across this country because they are systemically racist. The RNC has a seven-minute montage of Democrats calling for the defunding and the abolition of police that they have put out on Twitter and I hope gets circulated all around this globe. They are talking about reducing the allocation of resources to that department. And I think every single city in this country ought to be thinking about the same thing. Yes, I support the defund movement. I'm for responsible reallocation of resources and defund the police i think you do all those other things you don't need all the money that's going to the police department so yeah i mean the spirit of it i i i do support that yeah and you know a lot of us were asked if we could imagine a future without police back in 2017 when we were running for office and i answered yes to that question we are going to reduce funding in the police department and redirect that money there's no reason the police budget should just keep growing and growing and growing those are just some of the voices of the leftist Democrats, uh, some of them in the federal government, some of them are city mayors, some of them governors. Uh, they, they run the gamut. And for two solid years, they have been ta- talking about and calling for the defunding of police and for the abolition, the elimination of police and the replacement with social forces who can go out there and talk to people and, and um, uh, de-escalate situations rather than use force against people who are committing violent crimes. The Democrats hate cops. Do not forget that when you go to vote in November, no matter what you hear from Brandon or the mainstream media, Democrats hate cops. Remember it, along with many other things, when, you, uh, when they ask you to decide who's going to lead this country legislatively in November. I'll be back after the news. Informed among the uninformed. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 on this Wednesday. Thanks for being with us. So I want to pivot again here. I'm glad I didn't have a guest this hour, so I can cover a couple of these very, very important topics. Uh, Tucker did a great segment last night. Actually, his opening monologue, about 18 minutes worth, was about the, the lie of the electric car about the attack on uh, fossil fuels that, of course, was promised by Joe Brandon. He said, literally, we are going to destroy fossil fuels in this country. You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate. And one of the ways, of course, they're going to end fossil fuels is to kill the gasoline-powered automobile, right, and truck. The internal combustion engine has got to go in order to end fossil fuels. And the uh, the replacement of these vehicles with EVs is the answer. Ch- uh, Tucker's segment was so all-encompassing. I'm not going to play any of it for you. I'm not going to to uh, to read the entire thing to you, but just to kind of give you a brief overview um, of the extraordinary uh, claims that are being made by the left, uh, by California, uh, 
by 10 to 15 other states that are all joining hands and saying, we pledge to ban the financing of gasoline-powered engines in our states by the year 2035. By 2035, they want to make it illegal for you and unable for you to be unable to buy a gasoline-powered car. You must have an electric vehicle. And this is all so that Joe Biden can live up to that pledge of ending fossil fuels, right? It should go without saying, of course, that these people are idiots of the blithering variety, given the fact that a full changeover of an entire state, much less 50 of them, and the entire country, from gasoline-powered engines to electric vehicles, would not decrease the use of fossil fuels in America. It would increase the use of fossil fuels in America. We would use more coal and more natural gas, two of the three evil entities. There's oil, there's coal, and there's natural gas that have been identified by the left as the evil entities that have got to go. We would use more coal and more natural gas if a single state, much less 50 of them, converted from all gasoline engines to all electric vehicles than we could ever even imagine. There would be more coal mining, more fracking, more natural gas exploration and acquisition than we could ever imagine in a, in a world that is run by the internal combustion engines. Why? Because these idiots of the blithering variety have no earthly idea where electricity comes from. We played the clip on this program a couple of different times of the GM spokesperson bragging about the new Chevy Volt up in Detroit during a little mini press conference as they talked about, uh, you know, the new battery for the Chevy Volt. And then a reporter said, so, um, where's the electricity come from to, uh, to power this little electric Volt? And the idiot GM spokesman point, pointed over there and said, from that building right there, we plug it into that wall. And they said, well, no, where does that electricity come from? And she goes, um, I think it's provided by Lansing. <laughs> and then and the reporter said, no, keep going. Where does Lansing get it? And then she said, oh, um, I think most of it comes from oil. And then, or I mean, uh, coal. And then she realized what she had said. And she goes, oh, probably more natural gas, as if that's better. Exactly. That is exactly how the electricity is generated. Now, you want to take millions of American cars that are run on uh, uh, gasoline-powered engines, and you want to put them all on EVs, which are electrical-powered batteries, and you want to decrease or eliminate the use of fossil fuels? Is that what you said, President Brandon? How are you going to justify that to the rest of the planet, that you are now digging and mining for more coal and natural gas than you ever have and ever could have imagined because you tried to switch everything to what you call clean and green energy, what is actually more of a a use of fossil fuels, at least two out of the three, uh, than you ever used before. I bring a lot of that up, too, because there's a great piece that people need to know as we get closer and closer to this EV revolution. And I have a question for you, too. Will you buy one? Will you buy an electric vehicle? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Because I will tell you this. I have an interest in them. Just from a kind of a kind of a cool vibe factor. They're they're neat. It's kind of neat when you push the button to start the car and it doesn't uh and it doesn't make any noise. There's no engine revving. It's kind of neat. Uh, you know, the the tech that is inside, it's all basically run off of an iPad or an iPad type of console. Um, it's kind of neat to not have to pull over to a gas station to fill up. 
even though you do have to go to the you know the 220 uh, 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 charger and, and charge it up. But there's some cool factor to it. There's uh, it's just a tech thing that is kind of neat. My father-in-law is a true conservative Republican, but he's had a, a, an EV for about 11 years now. I think he has a 2011. And he got it not because of he was worried about the environment. He's, he, he, he likes the tech. It's the engineering-minded him that just kind of thinks it's kind of cool. So I have that same feeling a little bit, and I, I think it would kind of need to have one. But I'm of a mind that I would never buy one for two reasons. Number one, out of simply pushing back against this this big government mandate and this order that we have to buy them in order to save the planet, even though nothing in their rationale adds up. I don't like being lied to. I don't being like forced to do anything. If you tell me to do it, I'm most likely not going to do it, particularly when it's something that is this costly. And then the second part, number two, is that cost. Because guess what? These EVs don't last forever. Those batteries have a shelf life. Those batteries have a certain either number of years or a number of miles, and they're dead, and they're done. And guess what happens at the end of it in all too many instances? The cost of replacing the battery is more than the cost of the car. The cost of replacing the battery is more than the cost of the car, and if you choose to replace it for fifteen, twenty thousand dollars you have literally then just taken on a new car payment and erased any savings you might have had at the gas pump during the years you drove it. That's, it just makes no sense. Not economically, not environmentally. There's an article that I read in PJ Media, 10 Facts Electric Vehicle Advocates Don't Want You to Know. And I want to share a couple of these with you. And by the way, like I said, that's why I will never buy one. I will never buy one, almost out of spite, because we're being told we have to, but also because I don't want to have to deal with the cost at the end of that uh, car's life. Who are you going to sell it to? What kind of resale value are you going to have with an EV with a dead battery that somebody's going to have to buy from you and then spend ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on a new battery? The car is essentially worthless. You might as well set fire to it when it, when it, when it goes. Never going to do it. What about you? I'm literally curious. Do you have one? Would you consider buying? One of my best friends has one, just got himself a Tesla. And I kind of rib him a little bit, but, you know, it is cool. There's some really neat features on it. I think it's neat. But I'm not going to do it, first of all, it's $60,000, which I don't have. I can't afford that kind of a car payment even if I don't have to fill it up with gas. I still have to consider the cost of the electricity, to, to charge it, the time that it takes to charge, you know, it's like an hour for every every 100 miles, so if you want to charge it to its full 300-mile capacity, it's going to take three hours to charge, as opposed to, I don't know, 90 seconds at a gas pump. So I'm curious as to whether you have one or whether you'll have one. Uh, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. But here's just some of the reasons, or not reasons, but some of the facts, 10 facts that electrical vehicle advocates don't want you to know. Number one, I already covered it, but EVs are powered by fossil fuels. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, fossil fuel-based power plants, coal, oil, or natural gas, create 60% of the nation's electrical grid. Nuclear accounts for 20% of the electrical grid. They want to get rid of fossil fuels, yet they are going to take that 60% and jump it exponentially if everybody who has a gas-powered car in their garage changes to an electric car. Two, the batteries rely on cobalt. 
An estimated 70% of the global supply of cobalt emanates from the Democratic Republic of Congo, a country with deplorable working conditions, especially for children. The next highest amount of cobalt is in China. So we will again be beholden to the Chinese Communist Party to power American vehicles. Three, a study released earlier this year by an environmental group showed that nearly one-third, and this is a sample, of San Francisco's very left-wing, very, you know, uh, um, uh, ahead of the curve, if you will, on these types of things, San Francisco's electric charging stations were non-functioning. The population of San Francisco represents roughly 2% of California. Four, supporters of the California, uh, of the California law to outlaw gas cars by 2035 admit there will be a 40% increase in demand for electricity, adding further strain to the grid and requiring increased cost for power and infrastructure. Remember, this is a state that has rolling blackouts every summer because of the heat and the cost of era and the, uh, the burden on the electrical grid uh, just simply by the use of air conditioners, which leads us to number five. According to one researcher, the strain of adding an EV is similar to adding one or two air conditioners to your home, except that an EV requires power year-round, not just during the hot summer months. So there's a cost factor there in addition to the strain on the grid. Number six, today 20 million American families, or one in six, have fallen behind on their electric bills, which are the highest amount ever. Wait until you add the charging of your electric car to that bill. Seven, utility companies are going to need uh, to add $5,800 in upgrades for every new EV for the next eight years in order to compensate for the demand for power. All customers will shoulder that cost. Number eight, the average price for an electric vehicle is currently $66,000, up more than 13% in just the last year, costing an average of $18,000 more than the average combustible engine. Meanwhile, or combustion, it should say, not combustible. It's a typo, I think, there. Meanwhile, the median household income is $67,000. For African-American families, that median uh, is $45,800. For Hispanics, $55,300. In other words, the cost is going to be just exorbitant for average American uh, families and even harder for minority families. Number nine, a 2022 study. That means it's current found that the majority of EV charging occurs where? At your home, where you can put a 220 line into your garage, right? What about people who live in multifamily dwellings, you know, apartment buildings? How are hundreds of people who live in a big apartment complex all going to have their own charging station? They're not. They're going to be waiting, and guess what? The guy from last night didn't unplug his, or somebody else went and put theirs in next, and you never got it done, and you can't go to work. These are just examples, but this is reality. If they literally make sure nobody is allowed to buy gas-powered engines by 2035. And number 10, finally, the same study also noted that many drivers charge their EVs overnight when solar power is less available on the grid. So there are many, many more about that that you never hear Joe Brandon talk about. You'll never hear Transportation Secretary Pete Booty Judge uh, talk about this. You'll never hear Kamala Harris talk about this. You'll never hear any of them that are pushing for an elimination of fossil fuels. You'll never hear any of this. But the truth of the matter is, 
electric vehicles are not good for the environment. In fact, they're probably much worse, considering how much more damage they're going to have to do uh, to the earth, digging for the uh, uh, um, resources to fuel those power plants, uh, the electrical grid. So they're bad for the environment. They're bad for the economy, because I just went through all of the numbers there, and they're never going to tell you these things. But they're going to continue to push for this being clean, green energy that's going to save the the planet from global warming. They're lying to you. They never stop. And you should never start believing it either. I'm curious. You going to buy one on your own or at the tip of the spear, if you will? 216-901-0945. Always right radio. 1056. Always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. Andrew in Cleveland. Let's talk about these EVs. Hey, Andrew, go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning, Rob. I uh, wanted to thank you for sharing what you did about the drawbacks and disadvantages of electric vehicles that nobody talks about. Of course, of course <laughs> not. They don't want you to know about it uh, at all. <laughs> and it's something that I've had, uh, I won't say that I've been researching it for years, but all the way back um, sometime around 2000, uh, before they were really a, a big deal that I've uh, been paying attention to it. And well, one of the drawbacks with uh, the, the recharging um, that they'd been looking at, I don't know why nothing's ever come of it, um, was to, uh, to actually have batteries charged that you would swap out. Um, so they'd have a, a recharge station that would work similar to a gas station that way. I don't know why that's never come about, but I uh, wanted to make sure I'd um, threw that out, threw that out there because um, it is a really really important point. But um, to uh, to explain about the um, some of the side things that happen, I do have a a Prius, so we got a hybrid. That one of the things that, like you mentioned, with the kind of the tech interest on it, right? Um, the the regenerative braking, uh, the idea that I think I looked it up on JDPower.com just now. Um, that something like 70% of the energy that in conventional disc brakes gets lost to heat. You know, after right, you've been right. driving your car around, you feel the wheels, feel how hot they are. Um, that 70% of that does uh, can be recaptured and uh, and then put into a battery to use to to run um, the vehicle. So that's one of the um, the reasons why a Prius like mine can get up upwards of 50 miles a gallon is because uh, it's putting that energy back in. But um, I can definitely the, uh, see some of those advantages, particularly of the hybrids, and there are a lot. And, and you you address a, a lot of that very well. Um, the problem is still though, once that battery in your hybrid goes, um, it might not be the, the the same cost as a full EV replacement of around fifteen thousand dollars. But I hear it's somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight grand, and depending on what you paid for that hybrid, uh, that's pre- that's a pretty doggone hefty expense to take on now that your car is six, seven, eight years old, or whatever it is before that battery goes. Yeah, it's an uh roughly at least used to be to uh, transmission replacement, and that's that's no small chunk of change. However, right. um, the two things that uh, came to mind with that um, one is that the entire battery, at least with my Prius, um, I know that the entire battery doesn't have to be swapped out. The individual parts of the battery it consists of somewhere around at least a hundred um, individual battery cells. Um, it's probably more than that, but anyways, the point is that um, there's there's in-between measures, but you're absolutely right about the cost. And the other piece of the puzzle is 
that I don't know as it's really necessary to, in order to have that technology. I don't know as it's necessary to have the giant battery. Um, that maybe something in between could be done that would that's you know, a, that's a fair question as well. Andrew, I've got to run here. I'm up against top of the hour news. I appreciate your call. I'll take more calls on this later. But coming up after the top of the hour news, Jack Windsor is going to join us. We're going to talk about the corruption that continues in the ORP and whether or not it is about to end. And uh, Jack will tell you that story with us next day in 1420 the answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying, Genesis have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs. Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three now underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 31st and final morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord 2022. Thanks for being with us. If you missed the interview I did with Steve Dace in hour number one, uh, listen to it. Not now, because i got something more important for you to do, and that's listen to Jack Windsor. But seriously... Uh, that uh, interview is up and loaded on the, all, uh, excuse me, on the uh, whkradio.com page on their podcast page. I will have it on my Always Right Radio page within the hour as well. But if you missed that interview with Steve Dace, set some time aside and listen to it. If you are really, really, truly interested in understanding what has happened to us for the last two and a half years, what an extraordinary violation of our rights uh, and the rights of humanity that we have undergone and what they are doing. By the way, I literally. Literally, during the break, just received and then shared this headline that came across my screen. Hold on real quick. I'll get to Jack. Uh, headline came across my screen. U.S. FDA authorizes Pfizer and Moderna's updated COVID-19 boosters targeting Omicron subvariants. And I shared that on my Truth Social, and I shared it on my Facebook with this astute comment. <laughs> yeah, let's all go get in line. Uh, if you if you if you are at all questioning that, trust me. Listen to Steve Dace as he talks about his book that he co-wrote with Daniel Horowitz, The Fourth Reich, The Rise of the Fourth Reich. It is eye-opening and it is, I think, very very necessary reading. All right. Now, having said all of that, uh, it is always necessary to read the uh, great work on the Ohio Press Network, which, of course, was founded by our good friend and our State House correspondent for AM 1420, The Answer, WHK Radio, Jack Windsor, who joins us for his regular Wednesday segment. Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. Thanks for choosing me today. It's great to be here with you and uh, the WHK family. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us rather than getting right in line now for that uh, booster, that, uh, that, that new Pfizer booster. You're, you're, you're probably going to race as soon as we're done to get in line for that, right? 
Yeah, I'm trying to figure out uh, what's going to last longer that that uh, that booster or the you know the little five cent pieces of bubble gum we chewed growing up. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go get in line. Uh, I want to know if I want to know uh, if they're going to hold a big uh, a televised press conference thing for Biden to get his uh, fifth shot. You know, because after four, he got COVID and then got it again. Same thing for Dr. Jill after COVID or after her fourth booster. She got COVID two more times. Dr. Fauci, after four boosters, got COVID. I'm curious. And they always made a big deal every time they get them so that they can set the example and tell everybody, see, go get that shot. Make yourself healthy. Get that shot. I wonder if they're going to do it. I wonder if they're going to have a fifth booster ceremony for Joe Biden. What do you think? I think they have to. Right. I mean, you're they're so far in. Alex Berenson has done a great job of continuing with coverage on the jabs and the boosters and, uh, you know, the data that comes out of all those efforts. And what's interesting is I believe I read something from him on Substack that indicated the folks who are actually getting boosted boosted are the ones who are um, more easily and more rampantly contracting the virus now. Of course, the idea we were pitched in the beginning that this would this was our saving grace. Um, then later on, we were told that it would shake off the worst of the symptoms. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, I haven't even received the first, so uh, there are no boosters going into my arm, Bob. Jack Windsor is our guest from the Ohio Press Network. That wasn't our topic of discussion today. Uh, just kind of a, a, a momentary uh, comment on a current event. But, Jack Windsor, what I did want to talk about with you is the future of the ORP. Now, you and I have had many discussions about the ORP, about the state central committee, about the elections in the primaries, uh, to perhaps uh, change leadership uh, in the ORP. You've had your run-ins with Bob Paduchik, who declared you and the Ohio Press Network to be not real news, to be fake news, and you're a fake journalist. I have been dismissed as being, what did he call me? Um, I'm trying to remember what he called me, uh, a fake rapport, fake uh, media, or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Bob Paduchik will not stand for criticism. Bob Paduchik will not stand for calls for transparency and for opening the books and having audits and so forth. And Bob Paduchik is very likely on his way out now that the reformers, led by Shannon Burns and others, um, did win enough of those seats in the state central committee elections in the primary uh, in uh, on August 3rd to uh, oust him. But now, apparently, he's not going to go quietly. And this is the subject of one of your lead stories. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so uh, I can tell you what we broke. I can tell you what Paducic did yesterday at about 4 p.m. and uh, what we surmise might be next. But after the uh, August 2nd primary election, we were behind the scenes crunching some numbers. And based on information and fact-gathering, it looked like what you called the reformers um, may have uh, won a lot of seats. And so the idea was then, wow, I wonder how that's going to affect what goes on uh, post-election. Well, uh, I guess it was Monday we broke the story of Brian Williams, uh, who is uh, the vice chair of the Ohio Republican Party, sent a letter uh, to all state central committee members. And, uh, he is concerned that Bob Paducek is going to defer an election of uh, the executive team. Um, so the chairman, vice chairman, treasurer, and on down the line um, was supposed to happen in September, according to Williams. But Paducek is going to try to defer that until at least January. Now, the reason and, and why I mentioned uh, the reformers is that 
Williams claims that based on his phone calls, there are over 34, which would be the required majority because there are 66 seats, uh, 64 are currently filled, and probably closer to 40 people who, in his words, want a new chairman. So um, Williams put this letter out, and he referenced Ohio law that talks about how the after the election results are declared by the boards of election, the state central committee is supposed to meet at a place decided by the retiring chairman of the committee in accordance with party rules. And then the party rules declare in Article 1, Section 2, that the first meeting of the state central committee following the election and qualification of its members, all of its officers shall be nominated and elected to the state executive committee, which shall then be merged into the Republican state central committee. Um, so they're claiming that, let's see, Williams, Shannon Burns, and what you would call the reformers, mm-hmm. that they have more than enough people to replace Paducic. Paducic sent out yesterday at about 4 o'clock the agenda for the September 9th meeting, and guess what? Williams was right. It does not include uh, an allocation of time to uh, hold elections of new officers. Nothing says corruption quite like an attempt to stop a vote that would oust corruption. Uh, and that is exactly what uh, what Bob Paducic is doing. You know, um, I, I, I'm I'm really failing to to understand now. It's it, this is going to be kind of an odd comparison because you know the left likes to say, well, look at all of the evidence that there is against Donald Trump. Uh, if you still support Trump, you know, you have to ask yourself, what does that say about you? I think that's garbage because uh, all, all of the quote unquote evidence against Donald Trump has been presented without any kind of a uh, an, of, of a defense. You know, particularly in the January sixth Select Committee, uh, there's no uh, there's no one there to argue on. On his behalf but i kind of feel like right now uh i want to say if you're still on that state central committee and in that orp and you're still on team paducic what does that say about you what does that say when this guy uh is 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 completely i won't say he is completely corrupt but there are so many questions about his legitimacy and the decisions he has made on behalf of the orp and thus you know millions of ohio republican voters with respect to finances uh audits uh, uh, decisions made to um, offer and, uh, and and distribute funds to a campaign for an unendorsed candidate that he had planned to mm-hmm. endorse almost unilaterally himself. And, of course, I'm talking about Mike DeWine. There is enough grist for the mill here, Jack, that people should be like, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with this. Uh, Chairman Paducek, knock it off. Let us have our vote. Yeah, you know, he's been the target of lawsuits, uh, scrutiny and increasing criticism from people within the party for allegedly kicking uh, members off committees, uh, ignoring press inquiries while calling inquisitive journalists, like you said earlier, fake news, bad-mouthing committee members who've asked about millions of dollars of inaccurately reported financial statements, uh, quashing public discussion on issues raised by elected members during public meetings, and so and don't on. Forget so trying to strong, don't forget trying to strong-arm uh, candidates for, for the state central committee out of the race, telling them, how dare you, don't you dare run against an incumbent, particularly somebody who's an incumbent who is part of his, you know, his, uh, his core. Well, and, you know, not to say that Brian Williams has an axe to grind, but I remember not long ago, uh, Brian Williams standing up when the state central committee tried to consolidate all five executive officers and vote whether or not to endorse them. And he said, no, 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 we want to we take each of these folks at their individual merit. Of course, he has, uh, a, you know, an ax to grind with Frank LaRose. And after doing that, Bob Paducek uh, drove to Brian Williams' house and asked him to resign. Uh, Williams told me that he can't speak for everyone who wants a new chairman, uh, but speaking globally, 
Um, he has the feedback is that he's run the state party as an autocrat. Has it been illegal at times? I don't know that he's saying that, but he's saying, you know, after he got elected, he essentially summarily dismissed the governing body and he's operating like he's the boss of the central committee when actually the state central committee is his boss. It absolutely is. And it is absolutely autocracy. Williams is exactly right. The way he has run this is simply criminal. Uh, I talked to Shannon Burns a little bit myself, uh, by the way, about this, and he says they're not going to get away with it. He said, even though it might not be on the agenda uh, put forth by the chairman, uh, they have, you know, whatever the rules are. I think you described them a couple of, a couple of them as well, but they have the, uh, intention of holding their vote on time and they are not going to give him until January to try to twist more arms and use more corruption to try to hold on to his power over that party so um hopefully shannon is right hopefully uh, williams is uh, in, in in the rest of the quote-unquote reformers going to be able to hold free and fair elections for the leadership of the uh, of the orp let's move uh now jack windsor to another big story that's on the ohio press network page right now and that is your two-part big two-part interview with warren davidson I spoke with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about uh, uh, the, I think we talked about the um, Mar-a-Lago raid, and we also talked a little bit about the student loan situation. You've covered a lot of ground with him as well. Let's start with part one and his contention that the student loan give out or bail uh, bailout or give away, maybe I combine those words, um, is not just illegal, but it is unconstitutional. Um, did you discuss with him as he expressed that belief? And I think he's right, by the way. I think most everybody knows that it is. Did you discuss with him any plans or intentions to challenge that in court on the, on the basis of illegality? Uh, that's a great question. And the feedback I got from, um, Congressman Davidson was that it, he believed, uh, one, that it is illegal because, uh, you know, 300, uh, billion dollars is the conservative estimate. I mean, it could be 500, 700. Uh, the reality is that um, that executive action would pay for the full college debt for federal employees with 10 more years, uh, 10 years or more of experience. So nobody really knows what that abyss looks like. Um, but he said, look, if the president can just apportion money to himself that way, um, but his, his, mindset was that it would be challenged in court this week. He did not specifically say who would challenge, when they would challenge, how they would challenge it, but he felt like it would be deemed illegal uh, this week. And then, as he probably told you, he said it is an attempt by Joe Biden and his administration to um, get people out to vote because it probably will be stricken. And once it is, then um, the cry will be, look, uh, we couldn't do it this way. The court sucks still. And so the only way to do this is to make sure that we maintain a majority in the House and in the Senate. And uh, so you need to get out and vote so we can get Build Back Better passed. So who we ha- use it as electioneering. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know, he said he thinks it'll be stricken before the, the vote in November. Um, who has standing to challenge it, though? Uh, I was talking to another representative, uh, congressional representative's uh, handler or, or assistant, if you will, um, who said the real question here is going to be who has standing, that there are individuals who are ready to file a challenge, but whether or not the court will say you have standing to challenge this executive order, if it's something that an individual legislator, legislator can do. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I remember from my days as a freshman at Baldwin Wallace College in constitutional law that uh, the subject has to be right for adjudication, and that generally means that there has to be proof that 
um, you know, a constitutional right or, uh, was, was breached or um, you were impinged. And then um, you have to be able to show that there was a negative consequence. Maybe it's an economic consequence. So uh, I would assume that there are folks who um, will craft an argument. Uh, the problem will be, is it an argument that shows, hey, um, if this is implemented and if you don't issue a stay, meaning if you don't stop it, um, then it's going to cause harm to me or to this group of people. Um, so I don't know who who is going to file. That's what I'm really curious to find out. Well, I think rep- we'll probably Representative, do that in the next couple of days. let me share this with you from Sunday, Jack. We're talking to Jack Windsor, founder of the Ohio Press Network and our State House reporter. Uh, Representative Dan Bishop. <clears throat> on Sunday tweeted the following, I've seen speculation whether any civil plaintiff has standing to challenge Biden's unauthorized cancellation of student loan debt. The administration should hope so because the criminal law alternative, the criminal law alternative will seriously thin out the Department of Education and Democrat bench. In other words, you better hope it's only a civil uh, complaint filed here because if there is a criminal investigation, there's going to be a whole lot of people who go to jail for something like this. But he then went on, did uh, Dan Bishop in the thread, to say United States versus Versus Evans affirmed convictions of Department of HEW officials for conspiracy by causing irregularities in collection of student loans. And the third, it was a conspiracy to convert government funds. Whoever without authority disposes of any record voucher money or thing of value of the United States or of any department or agency thereof is subject to fine or 10 years in prison. He said there would be 47 million counts. We have, we've been made endlessly aware that presidents and other officials are susceptible to prosecution for crimes they commit in office. The conspirators will include not only Biden, but Secretary Cardona and all others involved at the White House Department of Education and Department of Justice. The thread goes on a little further, but I'll stop there. The point is, he's saying we may or may not have a civil uh, uh, standing here to file a suit, but um, if we can't, then we're going to hope that uh, that there is a criminal investigation. Well, I think he and all the Republicans ought to breathe easy because wasn't it Merrick Garland, uh, the Attorney General of the United States, who just a couple of weeks ago said that no one is above the law, and uh, <laughs> we disp- we dispense the law and uh, investigations even-handedly? Well, praise Jesus, here we are. Oh, uh, and I, brilliant. Course, I say that tongue-in-cheek. But, brilliant retort. Um, yeah. Yeah, if, if nobody's so, so above the law, it, therefore right? they will certainly they will certainly conduct a fair investigation into into all of this. I'm sure Merrick Garland is all over that. Uh, briefly, Jack, I've got about two minutes left. Briefly, uh, part two of your inter- interview uh, with Warren Davidson. Uh, give us a little bit a little bit on that. Yeah, so um, Davidson uh, was relieved that uh, Fauci retired. He drafted a bill last year called the FIRED Act. FIRED is an acronym for Fauci's incompetence requires early dismissal. I love that. And uh, in Davidson's words, he said, the bill is about more than Fauci. If we're going to dismantle the administrative state that's populated with all sorts of people like Dr. Fauci, who haven't yet been made famous for their levels of incompetence, um, then we have to be able to put term limits on them. So um, that piece of legislation would propose a 12-year term limit um, and then building a pipeline of talent. So, you know, people are refreshed and restored and you don't get um, people like Anthony Fauci who uh, live on the system forever and then have these dealings uh, that he's not even willing to talk openly about uh, in front in front of a, a Senate panel. But I asked the question. Go ahead. No, no, that's right. Please. I thought you were pausing. Go ahead. Uh, no, I asked the question. So what? Right. Uh, it appeared uh, Davidson says that he lied. What happens? And so he said, look, Fauci's going to come before Congress. If he doesn't want to come, we'll subpoena him. 
And again, if Merrick Garland is even handed, then, uh, you know, Steve Bannon, uh, was forced. And so, um, I'm sure that Anthony Fauci will be forced. Look, they're probably not going to be able to take his pension. What they're going to be able to do is maybe dive into, um, gain of function research a little bit. And then uh, I think what they're going to pivot from in this instance is trying to make a case to the public that uh, the administrative state needs to be held accountable. And the way to do that is to make sure that there are term limits. That is that is very well said. And I'm glad you actually said that. I'm glad uh, I didn't interrupt you there because, um, you know, you were talking about uh, the FIRED Act and talking about the incompetence aspect of this and replacing people and so forth. Um, it's not incompetence that concerns me as much with Fauci as it is dishonesty, as it is corruption, as it is he knew exactly what he was doing, he knew exactly what he was funding in Wuhan, he knew exactly uh, you know what uh, you know what the ramifications were going to be of forcing these jabs on people and did it anyway. So it's you know there's that that old debate about which is worse, you know, incompetence or 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 corruption or dishon or or um, 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 uh, intent, I guess, maybe is a better way to say it. Uh, and, yep. and I think I think both of them apply here, but I think it's his dishonesty and I think it's his intent that is more dangerous for us and that deserves to be investigated by Congress than even his incompetence. Yeah, and uh, real quick, I will say I'm talking with Congressman Jordan uh, Thursday, but in talks with his staff very recently, one thing I learned is that if the House does flip, the budget flips. Right now, Republicans have 33% of funds. When they're in the majority, they have 66%. So you can expect those funds will be used uh, on investigations into federal intelligence whistleblowers, for example, and maybe this gain-of-function research issue uh, with uh, the Fouch. God willing, they get that majority and those majority of funds, because that is exactly what has to happen. Jack Windsor, uh, founder of the uh, Ohio Press Network and our state house reporter for WHK and 1420, The Answer. Always appreciate your, your uh, great journalism, uh, Jack. Bob Paduchik's an idiot. You're a phenomenal journal- journalist, and we'll talk to you again next week. God bless you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Jack Windsor joining us. It's news time now. Always Right Radio returns after this. Miss something you want to hear? Check out the Always Right Radio podcast anytime at whkradio.com. WHK. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple. And the floor king. Final segment now, 1137. We got about, we'll call it eight minutes, maybe seven and a half minutes. I want to spend one and a half of those giving you one of the best video clips, and in your case, since this is radio for you, audio clips uh, that I've heard in response to Joe Brandon yet. Um, just just three days ago, four days ago, no, I guess it was in the middle of last week, Charlie Crist, the Democratic candidate for governor in Florida after his primary win, went on uh, CNN, I believe it was, and gave a just a full-body massage to Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, he just declared him to be, you know, descended from heaven above. He is literally Christ on earth. He is the greatest president. We are so lucky to have him. Look at all of the great things he did. Who else could ever have done this? Joe Biden, Joe Biden, Joe Biden. It was really kind of an amazing. This would be the 180-degree counter to that. Lisa Booth, Fox News contributor, uh, speaking on um, whose program was this? That doesn't matter. Um, oh, it was a weekend. It was a Sunday program. I think that, I think uh, she was on with um, 
Well, again, it doesn't matter. I apologize. I just want to get to the clip here. One of the biggest lies, she says, that we were ever told is that Joe Biden, in addition to being a good president, is a good man. He's a good guy. And I remember when the Democrats, by the way, were looking for somebody to run when Elizabeth Warren just was proven to be a complete, you know, Focahontas fraud, when uh, Pete Booty Judge was exposed for being the know-nothing that he is, that Kamala Harris flamed out in about 2.2 seconds. They couldn't find a decent candidate to run. And they ended up going, well, let's go with Uncle Joe. He's the old standby. He's the safe choice. He's the guy that everybody likes because he's a good old guy. He's harmless. He won't hurt anything, and he'll do pretty much anything we tell him to do. So Lisa Booth addresses the issue of Joe Biden, the good president, but more importantly, Joe Biden, the good guy. And I think this is worth our 90 seconds. Today. Well, look, I think Joe Biden would love to stir things up because he would love to give the FBI and the DOJ an excuse to further weaponize against Americans and against patriotic Americans. You know, and the guy who is actively trying to imprison his political opponent wants to talk about fascism, right? Unless he's giving an instructional how to be a fascist, he has no leg to stand on here. But one of the biggest lies that Americans were told is that Joe Biden is a good guy. If you think about it, this is a guy who led two of the most terrible confirmation hearings in American history, where he smeared and slandered Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas when he was the Senate Judiciary Chairman. Mary Ellen Bork, the late Robert Bork's wife, even wrote to the Wall Street Journal heading into the 2020 election, warning us that Joe Biden is a man without a compass who viciously smeared and led a a character assassination against her late husband. This guy is a prolific liar. He is a plagiarist, had a dropout of a previous presidential race because of that. And the only reason anyone thinks Joe Biden is a good man is because he has suffered so much loss and he uses that loss. He uses that grief for political purposes as both a shield and a sword, as we saw when he got 13 service members killed and then tried to invoke the death of his late son, who died of cancer, who did not die in the line of duty. So one of the biggest lies we were ever told is that Joe Biden is a good man. He is a terrible president, an even worse human being. You know, the president has really... (laughs) Um, Yeah, we missed the can you dig it portion of that, but it was worth every second of that. Holy cow, what a can was opened up by Lisa Booth. We have been told, one of the biggest lies we have ever been told is Joe Biden is a good man. He's a terrible president and even a worse human being. And I cannot find any fault. I cannot find any lie in that statement. Um, Marty is in Kent. I want to bring him on here before we we are done uh, because he's been waiting ever so patiently. Thank you for that, Marty. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. <laughs> hey, I wanted to hit the EV topic that you had earlier. Yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't give me an EV. I don't care what it was. I couldn't care if it was a Tesla. I don't care. I'm dead serious. Even if, not, if a dealership walked up and said, you can have this EV, you just just take it and like stick it. There is no way. And here's here's some things that some people aren't even talking about. Okay. When's the last time you went to a hardware store, like Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, the box store, <laughs> and you looked at their cordless power tools? And there's probably anywhere between a half a dozen to a dozen different manufacturers of those yeah. power tools. Yeah. Every one of them has a proprietary battery. And four or five years down the road, when you go to replace that battery that comes with the tool, you can't find them. You're lucky if you can find them. But for the most part, it is obsolescence that is put into the equation so that you have to buy a new tool 
when the battery goes dead. There aren't people who can take these batteries apart when they come out of the vehicle. You can't landfill them. They're stacking up. They don't have the properly trained people to dismantle those batteries, and you can't throw them in a landfill. What in heaven's name are you going to do with these things? They're going to dump them in the ocean before it's all said and done. They, these 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 you know caretakers <laughs> these caretakers of the planet these caretakers of the climate these people trying to save the environment by getting rid of you know uh, gasoline powered engines. That's exactly what they're going to do because you're right. They do not decompose. They are not biodegradable. They cannot be landfilled and have them uh, you know decompose. They will fill those landfills until they're mountains, and then they'll eventually start dumping them in the ocean and polluting the waters. That is exactly what they're going to do. And no, same thing with the with the wind turbines. Those blades oh, do yeah. not; oh, my they are not biodegradable. They cannot be reused. They can't yeah. be recycled. They're going right into the ocean. Watch and see, and nobody will talk about it. I tell you what, I am seriously looking into purchasing a frame for a truck. And a diesel engine. I am considering building my own diesel vehicle because I do believe you can't get an electric locomotive to pull all your freight across the country. They're diesels. You can't get electric semis to do all the shipping that you want. Those are diesels. I think diesel will be probably one of the last fuels that go. That's a great point. And by the way, and you, also, you, also, gonna... you also can't get an electric battery to fly your plane from one end of the country. You want to get private jets from one end of the country either. Now, i got to run here. Thank you, Marty. Call me back another time when we have more time to talk because that's good stuff right there. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of the show today. Don't forget to listen to Steve Dace. It'll be on uh, alwaysright.us in about 10 minutes. Let's we'll go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.